Hey fellow tennis nerds and welcome to another episode of the Tennis Nerd Podcast. Before we move into the holidays and the season where we eat too much and not play enough tennis, generally we had the idea, me and Dennis, to do a podcast. Me, Dennis and Richard. Richard Parnell is joining us here in, um, in a conversation about strings, rackets, the players, the racket industry and so on. I hope you found this engaging and interesting. Richard is a legendary stringer. I've talked to him before. There's another episode on the podcast with pretty crappy sound, but it's still there. And he's a very knowledgeable guy about strings. He has his own knot named after him. He lives in Marbella and I met him there last time. And now I ask him about how life is there. I'm going back in January, first time in a while to check things out and meet some friends and so on. So I hope to meet Richard there. So thanks to Dennis and Richard for taking part in this Christmas special and I hope you enjoy it. Have a nice day and don't forget to play some tennis. I start the podcast by asking Richard what he's working on at the moment. So yeah, well, I'm, I'm working with a player at the moment who's here doing his pre-season. So he's flying down on the 28th mm -hmm. and um, starting off, I think he's starting off in Sydney with the years at the ATP Cup. Yeah, 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 exactly. There, then he's uh, then he's just floating around doing the different the different ones. So obviously, if they're making the journey down there now that they've got everything that's uh, all the different tournaments, then it, it makes it more worth well, it makes it worth their while, and they can play a few um, a few events. But uh, there's quite a few people do well. There's quite a few people doing um, their preseason here. I mean, it's been brilliant weather. Well, we've been up about 16, 17, 18 degrees every day. Yeah, I've seen that. <laughs> Up until today, then today it started raining and normally uh -huh. got rain all the way through until next Wednesday, I think. Oh, well. So, um, yeah, it's and obviously here we haven't got indoor courts. No, I, I know. I, I it's, it's well, we have a similar temperature. I mean, we had really lousy November, December, well, uh, all, pretty much all through December until yeah. now has been horrible, like raining. Also, October was so-so, so really, <coughs> really um, rare weather. Yeah. And now it's, it's sunny and like the same temperatures as you have. So it's, I've been playing every day this week. But uh, it's, uh, yeah, it, it, it's tough when you don't have any indoor courts. I don't know how they manage. I mean... Well, uh, here in Termlinos, there's one court that is... It's not indoor, but it's covered. They've got, you know, with the paddle courts where they put yeah, the yeah, roof yeah. over the top, where the sides are still open. Mm -hmm. So with that, you can actually play when it's raining, as long as there isn't strong wind from the side. Otherwise, it blows the rain in from from the side, and then you have to uh, you have to stop anyway. But otherwise, yeah. um, there's Adrian, you know, Adrian Menendez. Yeah. He's, he's he was booked in from nine to eleven this morning. And then there was um, to play in Tormelinos in on that court. It all depends how it how it is. And then there was a couple of other players, um, Spanish players, and a Russian player. They were going down. They were they were thinking of if they couldn't play outside, they'd go indoors um, or on that court. But then there's quite a few players here, so you know there's only so much. Uh, there's only so many can can play, so they'll be fighting over it. You can raise the price on that court. It can be quite. There you go. <laughs> No, I, they need to. I mean, in Malta, we have two indoor courts. So that's at least something. I know it's nothing against Austria or Sweden, but it's it's uh, at least we have two indoor. We had uh, Manarino here playing uh, a week I saw, or two ago. Yeah. I saw, I saw you. Yeah, my, my biggest challenge with indoor is always that most courts are carpet. Mm. Um, and uh, I don't like carpet. No, we and have, also have... you don't, for, for the ATP, I guess they don't play on carpet in many tournaments anymore. It's just quite different. No. So, yeah. Uh, 
I mean, talking of Manorino, I was stringing for him at Wimbledon. I, I tend to string for him. I think I did him this year. I didn't do him last year because there wasn't Wimbledon, but the year before I did it. And it just happened that there were there were so many people giving me um, players that were using sub-20 um, uh, tensions. Yeah. That, I mean, he was obviously, he was down at um, 11 or 12, whatever it was. And then there yeah. was Kukushkin, who was down at 11.8 and 12.2 or whatever it was. And written with his pencil on the on the that's, that's the one right? on the on the white overgrip, yeah. And then yeah. uh and looking around to make sure it's the same stringer, same machine. Yeah. And because I don't normally do Kukushkin, it just happened that the day before I got to, to the to Wimbledon, um another stringer had gone on my machine and strung his rackets on that machine. So then the next day. When I arrived, I go the other stringer gets off my machine. I go on my machine, and um, Kukushkin, when he looked around the corner to see, you know, giving his rackets, he said, "That's not the same guy." And they said, "Okay, well, it's your choice. You can either have the same stringer on a different machine or a new stringer on that machine." So he said, "I don't know. I want him on that. I want that machine. I want that machine." So I had to look after Kukushkin. And I think one of the rackets I was doing was, I, don't know, I think it was 10.8 and the other was 11.2. And yeah. the strangest thing, I actually got a different DT between the 10.8 and the 11.2. Oh, wow. so it was, um, Do you remember the DT figure? No, it was, it was, it was low twenties. It was, I don't know, 20, 20, 20 low. I'm not, no, 20. Yeah, 20, exactly. That's, that's yeah. that sort of thing. It, was, it was right down there. But it was. It, I actually managed to get a get a reading. Manorino, I don't think I can't get a. You can't get a reading. It's just it's too low. Yeah, and it's, it doesn't it's, go it's, down that. It's tough to string actually, right? Like like Manorino. is okay because it's a sixteen nineteen, but like Kukushkin, he's I think eighteen twenty, and yeah. in my opinion, like I I feel like the eighteen twenty on that super low tension is like even worse to string. Like with with. Well, you have to get it absolutely perfectly straight yeah. straight away. Because yeah. otherwise, you it, you can't. If you start moving it afterwards, then then you really do have problems where you start getting wavy strings. And it's also if you get um, a natural gut, if you're using a natural gut in a soft in a soft one, the natural gut gets like let's let's not say a dent in it, but it gets um, a mark where the string is on. So then if you try and move it afterwards, it always snaps back to where it was, where you left it. So you have to make sure that it is absolutely straight or absolutely in the position you want. Otherwise it is an absolute nightmare. So yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's much easier to string a racket at 30 kilos than at 10, much, much easier. But like yeah. Manarino is also pretty funny because um, yeah, first of all, he's a super nice guy when he comes in the string room, very respectful, like at least how I got to know him. But he's always keen on like measuring his rackets in terms of the swing weight and balance and stuff. Yeah. So this year in Indian Wells, we put first time in the um, front room, we put the three-in-one machine kind of like to showcase it and yep. to give players who just want to test it or like want to see their rackets, they can, could do it by themselves. So, so we didn't need to take any stringer's time to just measure rackets because they can do it easily. Yep. And um, like I was telling our... Um, front office people i said like i'm gonna make a bet i said the first player who's actually gonna move actively to the three-in-one machine is gonna be manarino and like it took i mean chances are 
like relatively low that it's actually going to happen because you don't know when they are coming in. But like literally two hours later, who walked in? Manarino walked in, dropped off his rackets, turned around, saw the three and one, and asked like, um, "Yeah, uh, is it okay? Can I can I can I check?" I'm like, sure, yeah, feel free. And like the the group was laughing, and then he he asked me and said like, "Why why like kind of why are you laughing?" And I said like. Um, sorry to say, but like I was kind of expecting because you did it to me in like in Madrid and Paris, like wherever I see you, you you check your rackets. Yeah, like yeah, I know I'm super picky and blah blah. <laughs> so yeah, no, he told me he was very specific. He couldn't even like think of playing with another setup. You know, it's just like that's that's what he can play, especially if you have that kind of super specific low tension, high power frame. I mean, you don't have many other ways to go. You know, you're stuck in this very extreme corner uh, of. of it's, it's again something that we um, like what what I experience at least in my little world of playing tennis and kind of doing development stuff and and things and working with players for the past I don't know how many years not anymore as much for sure at head as I did with Prince but um, I realized on my own as well that if you play a stiffer frame like especially a frame that's stiffer in the, in the hoop stiffness not overall like the I know everyone is in this RA camp thing, which I'm like not a huge fan. Um, like that, if you have a lower tension setup or a softer string with it, like it's it's so much more convenient to play with the racket, and you get get such a nice impact feel and sound and the trajectory of the ball compared to like a stiff racket with a stiff string and high tension. It's like it's it's a completely different world, and like you can actually even if you do play testing and stuff um, with, with people and you ask them, what do you prefer from a sound perspective, from like impact feel and stuff, you can guide them much easier through, through what they actually need or should play. And then the other thing is always like what they believe, what they believe they hear, what like the coaches or the coach may have heard from somebody that his, you know, like there's, there's always the, we had it so many times in our podcast, there's always the pure technical statistic data kind of thing. And then there is the <laughs> player's uh, perception yeah, where yeah. never, ever you can tell somebody what he's going to feel like. Yeah. I mean, the sound, the sound is very um, subjective as well. Sure. Because I mean, there was, um, was it Quentin Moutet? The French um, player was down here and he was trying different frames. And he was trying with um, Alu and Guts and Alu and Alu and 4G. So he was trying a few different things. And he was hitting with a, he picked up a Yonix racket and he was, and he put in the, his usual setup, which is Alu both ways. And he said, Oh, I love the sound. And that was, as soon as he hit it, he, he said, Oh, great sound. And that was one of the first things he picked up on. And, um, He's looking to change anyway. So um, without saying where he's going to, I just say he, he, loved, he loved that racket. And, yeah. um, and, it, and the first thing he actually said was, I love the sound. Yeah. But it is, I mean, sound is connected to so many things. Like you can connect sound to like the speed of the ball, to uh, the impact feel in general. Like so, so the reference is, is like a variety of things for yeah. so many players. 
And like we know it from cars, you know, like those crazy people who customize their cars, they might have a small engine, but a loud uh, exhaust. And you believe like, oh my God, this car must be fast or something. And then you actually see it and you're like, no, it's probably not going to be fast. It's a Fiat Panda. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like, remember, remember the sound that was so... Um, like unique for one of our rig was a prestige classic that that the sound to the cap grommets which a lot of traditionalists yep. and fans they still love and would love to see it coming back and things yeah yeah no that's that's one of the ones i get from a lot of people as well like that sound of, of that racket and 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 people like it, it's kind of this first love thing with with setups like if you try something and you have that feeling that quarantine had for example i think it's almost hard to look away from it. It's like this, oh, you know, I'm in love now. I can't play with anything else. Just this, this fantastic. Yeah, we, we as brands probably even talk not enough about it, about the sound no. and what the sound does to you, basically. That's also a reason why most players, they don't like to play test new rackets or new setups within indoor courts because you always get a complete different impression than yeah. outside sound is amazing i mean recording something indoors it sounds like you're hitting at the speed of light you know and then yeah. you go out and it's like okay it's normal <laughs> you know yeah. so it is yeah, yeah i think that's but that's one factor i thought that was kind of the idea behind the boom at first like okay you have that sound the boom is, is part sound part like explosion thing you know so it, that that because it has a, a slightly different sound that racket so i think that's a pretty interesting um name for it then yeah uh, so, uh, Richard, are you going to string anywhere this year, 2022? Do you have any plans um, to travel? Well, I mean, you know, I, I don't do that many tournaments now, but I'm I'm supposed to be Wimbledon. I, I should get my invitation to Wimbledon beginning of next year. Normally, in February, we start knowing what we're doing. And it looks like I'm doing Geneva as well. Geneva and maybe Berlin, depending on... Uh, on negotiations but okay um, wta with uh, emotion there yeah cool so um yeah it's i'm just waiting to hear the last few things geneva's um definite wimbledon yeah. again um it should be uh should be the same and then um i don't know i'll look at dennis and then hopefully uh labor cup or something you know if he includes me on the on the team but otherwise um, I don't know. We'll we'll see. I mean, it's the traveling is still a problem. So yeah. going to different countries, if you're going it flying in as an external stringer, then if anything happens while you're in that country, then you start suddenly. It's a problem for everyone. Yeah, because it's a problem for you because you're stuck in a foreign foreign country, and suddenly if you would catch covid or whatever it is let's let's talk covid if you catch covid while you're away from your own place then you suddenly start getting into medical expenses does your insurance cover it who's who's responsible and then so from the human side it's it's not good because you're in a foreign place and suddenly you might be in uh in hospital somewhere that you don't want to be and secondly then you've got the team well you know who's uh, who's responsible, and um, yeah, it just makes it 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 makes more sense now that everyone in in a certain area looks more towards stringers from that area um, to keep uh, to keep doing it. So it's more as long as the stringers are are the right, let's say, quality, or they have the experience to to be able to string at that at that level, 
then whether you go from one country or another, it, it doesn't make that much difference. I mean, there's some some really good stringers out there. So, you know, I mean, it's um, when you start talking about Grand Slams where there's so many rackets done day after day after. So, you know, a lot of people can say, oh, I can string 30 rackets, but can you string 30 rackets five days in a row and, you know, on five hours sleep or four hours sleep? And that there's not that many that can do them and always have a constant tension so that you know that every racket is going out with the same GT. No, that, that pool must be very limited, one. right? Yeah, there's there's not that many, and I mean some some teams um, um, go more towards speed, others go more towards um, getting perfect tension and making sure that the the tension is as as good as possible or as as even as possible. Um, but yeah, no, I mean there there are you know Grand Slams, it's slightly different, but a normal let's say a normal ATP two fifty or a five hundred, there's more than enough. Um, stringers around to to do it and that as there's a lot more training available now as well then whether it's on youtube or through the associations then it means that stringers are getting better and they can actually see whereas when we started we didn't really have that many um ways of improving or finding out what we were doing wrong or what um what we needed to change in our techniques now it's there's obviously there's the there's symposiums the one actually dennis and i met in a symposium about i don't know 12 13 years ago something like that and um it was it was great it was a, an international symposium in the us and i was one of the seminar leaders and dennis was there with um prince and i would normally when i did my presentation which I would do on all different things, whether it was the art of stringing natural gut or um, the aggregation of marginal gains, which is what I actually use to, to teach. And I brought, I started that when in the US at one of those symposiums, then Dennis was normally in the room when I was there. And I always used Dennis in a way to fill in the, let's say the corporate side or the technical side on string manufacturing and all that that side where obviously he has a wealth of knowledge so so i was using it to make my presentation better and then dennis could put in that information which me it basically it benefited everyone so dennis and i have always um worked well together and um Obviously, when Dennis was at Prince, we always spoke about maybe doing some workshops, doing this. We, you know, that it's needed to to help people improve. And um, then Dennis changed uh, changed companies, and uh, we managed to um, carry on our relationship and um, and work with uh, work in towards that goal, which is helping other stringers. So, um, yeah, and the symposiums are are very good to um, to help. Uh, people improve you know it, it gets you, people together do you I think mean, um, players and um, are getting pickier now that there's so much information around strings and tensions and i was going to ask that around the, the slams for example like are players more aware stringers are more aware with all the online stuff out there and more information in general are you it's, talking about the, the are you what players or stringers yeah but start with players like are they players, getting pickier I mean, about players the the thing that probably made the life a life more difficult for for stringers was the ERT 300 and most players having them 
because then they would come in and then if the stringer hadn't done, let's say here, what he should have done or hadn't done, wasn't constant in his work, then the players can actually have a number there and turn around and say, you know, this isn't, this isn't right. So in that way, it's, it's good because it means that the stringers have to up their game. They have to be of the right quality to be able to give that service. And the players now have a way of knowing, well, this isn't how I like it, which is good and it's bad because one, the player has to know how to use the ERT 300. So he has to put it in the right place. And if you put it in a different place that the person who's taking it, you'll get a different number. So there's that. Then I I actually had a player's mother um, come in and say, I asked you for 17 kilos and you've given me 18. Because what she'd done is she'd done the, um, the ERT 300, then gone to the wheel, put in the 32 or the 31, whatever it was, and said, oh, that's 18 kilos. But I only asked for 17. Well, <sighs> I always get a high DT when I'm, when I'm stringing. So I actually had to, and I mean, this is a player who was, I don't know, top 10. And I actually had to explain to her, well, each stringer is different and the ERT 300 is good for what it does and it gives you a number, which then we can work upwards or downwards because each stringer is different, each machine is different. So if I get 32 at 17 kilos or or 28, whatever it is, it makes no difference. Then if you want a slightly different DT, just give me the DT and then I'll work on the reference tension on the machine to give you that DT. And we had it when in Hamburg with uh, Dennis, when with the team, there was a, a German player. Is it Lenz? Or yeah, Ju- Lenz? it was Julian. Julian. Yeah. He yeah. came in and he wanted, um, I believe he wanted 36 DT or 37. And it was basically, I had to get, um, if it was, I think it was 36. I had to get 37 when it came off the machine. So an hour later, it was 36 and then it was fine. But I could get that with a kilo less. So I was actually, before he'd been having his racket strung at 24, 23, um, I could get it at 23, 22, just because I get a higher DT because I make sure that all the strings, well, I make sure that the tension head bites earlier and I make sure that the strings are as straight as possible when they're um when they're being tent when they're being tensioned and also i don't move them around afterwards because they're normally in their place so i don't have to straighten them which all means that you get a, um, a higher dt but he was he was working he wanted a specific dt so the first racket i think i got it uh, slightly high so then we just cut that one out so all it cost him was a string job and a set of string and then we knew what his setup was as long as it was me stringing it on that machine so it's, um, it's, yeah, but to to also like come from my side of things, <clears throat> when you talk about like did it get better, did it get worse? I think it's it's it, let's say it changed. Like I can't even say if it's got worse or better. It changed for for multiple reasons, and with everything, with every information, it's kind of like how do you use the information that you get? How do you use um, the tools that are available and? There are people that buy certain tools, but they don't really know what they do. So like perfect example, what Richard says, like the ERT, like 
this conversion wheel that you get in the packaging doesn't really give you the true attention and stuff. So like in the meantime, you have players, they come in and tell you like, I want 35 and you, if you are experienced enough, you know that if you give it to this person or if you string it on that particular machine, if you have that kind of string, you need to go with whatever, 24 kilos uh, or 23. So that, that's definitely where an experienced stringer within a stringing service is always super helpful. So if we set up teams for, for the stringing service, says we don't do this normally just from HQ side in every country. Usually the countries have the responsibilities and I'm there kind of helping them and be their advice and what I I am personally expecting in my role for head because like it's not self-centered around Dennis being the one who has to tell what needs to be done it's kind of like so what do we want to implement as head in the training service you always make sure that you try to have at least one or two experienced people there no matter where they are from or whatsoever but you, you try this because that always helps because I think what what's because you mentioned like the stringing teams and the stringers and stuff to me, it's, it's a period of time where you are very close with people and it's, it's for some people, it's kind of even intimidating or like it's, it's different, you know, it's different. If you string 30 rackets in your shop, you're on your own, you can move away from your machine as much as you want. You, you, you have the TV running maybe and, and whatsoever, or you are with 12, 13 people in a trailer in Indian Wells outside it's 45 degrees. You see the players walking in, you see the work piling up, like really piling up. Um, it, it does something to a lot of people. Like you see people that are amazing stringers, but they can't handle the situation, which doesn't make them a bad stringer. It's just the environment that, that so you need to have, you need to know the people that you are inviting and you need to have a base. It's like a soccer team where every, when every coach talks, this is my axis or this is the core of my team. And that's what you need within a, a big group of stringers. And for us, we took the decision during Corona right now that mainly we will try to have, let's say, local people. Like it's tough to say local people in a huge country like the US, but like US-based stringers, for example, for Indian Wells. Because as Richard rightfully so said, and we discussed this multiple times, for sure, as a company, you can have people signing up for like, okay, I take my personal risk if I travel during a pandemic, blah, blah, blah. But honestly speaking, me personally, or we as a brand, we don't want to be responsible if if that goes really south. I mean, let's let's play the worst case. You get a stringer in your country here, signed all this stuff, and this person gets really sick. I mean, this can happen anyway, no matter if there is corona or not, but corona increases definitely the risk. I think we are on the same page here. Um, and that being said, can you imagine somebody goes into the hospital, gets into the ventilation system and stuff, and then like really bad, bad things happen? I couldn't sleep well anymore. It can still happen within the country, but like um, we as a brand, we at least try to minimize the risk as much as you can minimize it in today's day, like for sure. Maybe there will be comments right now like, okay, what if the plane crashes and stuff? Yes, uh, that's an accident that can happen. Um, that, that can always happen. I can walk out the door and like a truck catches me uh, here. 
but that that's how we approach our stringing services and by the way like it's not all negative about this it it also gives a lot of new stringers the opportunity to come into that game and to get the insights to get the knowledge to get the experience which then actually is on the flip side beneficial for all the clubs where those people are stringing for so like the overall quality will increase because what's a huge problem in the world of stringers is that uh, definitely, and in all kind of single area sports, there is egos around. So, like stringers try to be at every event, they try to be best friends with everyone, and I'm not blaming anyone for it. But that's our um, exercise to manage all of that as well. So it's like a lot of things are underestimated. Putting those teams teams together, it's not only stringing. It's like having the chit chat within the room when it's downtime. Um, how to manage the break. Uh, getting enough sleep, um, the front desk manager um, trying to keep the atmosphere up, talking to the people. And I love to be around the stringing room. The bigger the stringing room is, the more I like because I can talk to everyone, get their experience, get their feelings. How do they feel? What do they like? Why do they do stringing? There are multiple reasons why they do this. So you you meet people from around the, the globe and, and that's super exciting. But the overall goal is, and referring to what Richard said, when we presented this concept here at head about doing workshops that that's always and i think i read this in some of these uh, comments that were under our last um, podcast or under our last videos where people say like okay um there, there's always the balance between marketing your own brand and your product because that's how the world turns let's be honest everyone would do that but at the same time like i presented a concept of like that if we help people being better in what they do, they will rely on us as a reliable partner. And we, off, we, we don't just offer sales programs, discounts, margins, and something. We offer first-class product. We are dedicated to what we do, but we also want to be a partner. We want our partners to become better in what they do. And I know a lot about tennis, maybe, and I know also quite some things about stringing and some um, customizing and things, but like bringing Richard on board, we could tag team, you know, people could list, they, first of all, during a day of eight hours, like two days of our workshops, they hear different voices and they hear different perspectives. And we have had incredible uh, good feedback on it until the pandemic hit and we have still plans in place. And to be honest with you, it made us, me and Richard proud that we saw other more well-known string brands picking this idea up we all of a sudden saw like trainings of a very popular belgium string company going out there doing doing workshops at tournaments i don't claim that this is because we did it but it probably accelerated that they wanted to do it yeah you know like i don't want to be so self-centered like, okay because we did it like they they started to do all of this they probably had plans in place as well but it, it just helped. And, and honestly, competition always helps. I mean, if you talk, if you listen carefully to some of the interviews with Rafa, Roger, and Novak, they all say, if the other two guys wouldn't be there, maybe I wouldn't even be as good as I am. 
because you push yourself to the next level. And that's what I love. I love a little bit banter with the other brands, the, the guy, the, the brands of the, uh, the guys of the other brands in my position, they, we all know each other for sure. You banter, you, you have some fun because like life can only can't be serious all the time. And everyone has a certain belief of um, what they, what they want to accomplish with the product they develop, with the service they offer, with uh, the way the brand gets perceived and stuff. So there are different views on things. And our view is that we want first-class product. We want great sales opportunities and great sales programs and offerings. And then we want to be service partners to make our partners better. And that's that's the reason why, why Richard is on board uh, within HEAD uh, in supporting those workshops. That's why we at HEAD support the uh, stringers associations that's why we try to be part of the symposiums that's why i'm trying always to be there with uh, open eyes open ears and with presentations at all the symposiums and we have specifically richard and i we have ideas for the future that maybe on we're talking about machines that might be coming along the way in the near future that are new to what has happened uh, in the world of stringing um, we are a little bit handcuffed at the moment due to the global supply chain problems. So like we can't talk about timings and more details, but that's going to be where, where we say like, Hey, let's, let's do this. Let's, let's work on something. Let's, let's raise the bar. Let's push the others. Let's see what the others can come up with, you know? And that's, that's what we try. That's, that's, that's what we, why we are in. That's why we love what we do. I mean, we could probably go on with this conversation here for the next maybe we need lunch in the meantime um, but uh, we could go on probably all day talking about you lunch in. well you take lunch in spain in afternoon like it's not <laughs> austria it's austria it's noon we need to be on time you know yeah. <laughs> no but i think that's great i think it's it's important that i mean obviously we raise the bar everywhere you can but it, but i mean to have good stringers out there, whether they're like local based or they're traveling or whatever, but just bringing more of a high level on, on stringers. Cause I, I mean, a lot of club level stringers are pretty poor. Uh, that's what you see, you know, and uh, I mean, many great ones obviously as well, but uh, sometimes I get a lot of communication from players like, Oh, I, I went to the stringer, he did this. And you're like, okay, that's not good. <laughs> and there, there, there's some issues there. So if we can raise the level of stringers worldwide, I think that's a big benefit. Generally, One of the most popular wordings, uh, sentences, sayings that we get in all workshops and also in all symposiums, or if I visit smaller retailers in the past and now, is like, oh, I do this since 20 years. And that's kind of a barrier that those stringers set for themselves. I'm like, how, how do you get it, go against it? So you can't go immediate into a confrontation of like, okay, what you've done the past 20 years has been not good obviously because of those reasons and that's kind of where where it's so much fun at those workshops if you get that kind of statement then how do you react so you you try to get to open those people's minds and to kind of like yeah like we are not saying that you are bad just because we show you something different we show what we believe is the right thing we have a certain level of experience on the product side on the stringer side and that's where we see where we have made best experience, where we have the best results. And that's why we show the way how we do it. It's up to you to pick what you want to pick out of it. 
like we in, don't in a way it's, say it's a, we don't preach the law let's say no. like this our strength we we can only talk from our experience in all we, categories we make people aware that there's more yeah that there is more to it that that um yeah it's it's basically it's is making stringers aware of what else there is so yeah I mean, you get certain club stringers who are making mistakes because they're not really aware of the other options that they have so if we always work towards that goal which is showing the options that are that are also there and the reasons for them and that's one of i think that's one of the important things is when you explain why um a certain technique or or this is the way to do it you explain why because most people don't know the why and if we do a certain technique or we use a certain technique or we do a certain thing with a string or with however we do whatever is included in our technique there's always a reason why but most people don't actually give that so in the workshops that's one of the things that we try and do is not just preach and say this is how you're going to do it do it it's this is why this is what we're doing and this is the reason why we're doing because once people understand the reason then normally the exactly what Dennis said where well I've been doing it for 20 years and I've never had a problem then suddenly they themselves realize hey maybe I need to look at that and maybe I need to change it even though I've been doing it for 20 years because I am um, I always find also when I give workshops but not not the ones with Dennis but the private ones where it's either I'm giving a personal class or I'm giving one of the um, ERSA um, workshops um, I always, in a group of six, there's normally one stringer who pushes back. When I say it's it's this, and they push back. I mean, I remember this is this one actually was. He said, "Yeah, uh, when I string the racket, then I check it, and an hour later, it's got tighter." I said, "Okay." Or yeah, I, I string it at 24, but then uh, put it in there, and then it's at 25. So I said, "Well, actually," I said, "You know, all string tension loses tension. No, it doesn't." But when you get that straight from the beginning, <laughs> and this is one that I remember, and it must be about, I don't know, it must be about 10 years ago. And I still remember it when, and this was right at the beginning of the workshop. And I thought, okay, I'm not going to say anything because just what we're going to explain afterwards is going to make the person realize that there's no possible way it can be getting tighter afterwards. So I didn't, I said, yep, okay, fine. And just carried on. And then once after about two hours, when we've been looking at string and elongation and all the rest of it, then he actually came back and said, oh, right. Okay. So, so all string loses tension, does it? Yeah. And I think he was using one of those smartphone apps. It's, it's interesting what, what Richard says, like you, what we do sometimes as well at the workshops is we ask even people to come on stage and show if they have something like, it's not that we are not open as well to like, there are certain ideas that certain stringers develop for themselves we're like, hey, yeah, that makes sense. Maybe let's let's give it a try or show it and stuff. So we have a camera when Richard strings rackets and stuff. So always open to hear 
feedback because like we wouldn't be good in what we do probably if we wouldn't listen to people but there are always also reasons why certain things where certain things just don't make sense or they make sense for one specific player because he likes it and stuff so that's always where you need to kind of um, be careful let's say like this and if certain customers are happy with what they get it's fine take what you want to take out of such a workshop uh, and that's it I got a question into my head, which is something to discuss. Maybe it's like, can can rec players be too uh, into the gear? Can they be too specific with tensions, with rackets, with so on? What do you what do you think there? Like they get a bit crazy. Well, people um, can I mean, always get crazy, right? Yeah, I mean, there 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 always are. You know, we get the ones where, well, the the logo we want a light painting <laughs> of the logo. Well, if you think about it. Why not? Because well, it makes it makes sense. It know? does make sense because if if the if the player has a string that he wants snap back on and he wants it to move, if you stick big dollops of paint painting the logo on there, what are you in effect doing? You're sticking that string slightly. So, you know, is it is it wrong? No. I mean, the logo can it be the fifth one down and opposite to the the butt cap? Hey. Um, if that's what floats their boat, hey, why not? If that makes them happy when they go on the on the court, well, hey, you know that I, I remember there was a player who said, "I need the knots in the right place because I'm already nervous enough as it is. I'm already stressed going out on courts at Wimbledon or wherever it is that if I see something strange on my racket or something that it shouldn't be there." It takes my, it, it, I'm already stressed, so I don't want to be more stressed. So well, that particular player had to have his knots exactly in the right, the, the places that he liked with all the tails cut to, you know, neatly done. And I mean, I, I, there was a, a player who kicked back his rackets because the knots were all over the place. I mean, obviously knots is something that, that I do um, really concentrate on. Um, I sometimes get called Mister Knot, but um, yeah, exactly. Oh, you have your yeah. own knot, so I, I guess yeah. Well, there, there, there is that, but I mean, players who kick rackets back because the knots are all over the place. There's one facing one way, one facing the other way. Well, if you're doing everything else to make them absolutely identical, so that when you put the racket, so obviously we always put the rackets in with the logo up, um, knots in the same place starting it so everything is identical so you when you put the five or ten rackets whatever it is next to each other they're exactly identical that's is, i think the good. secret sauce or that's the secret sauce of high quality stringing and that's where like what we try to accomplish during those workshops is as well that we try to uh, make like shop owner stringer sensitive for how can you differentiate yourself from that black market stringer from that guy that charges 10 euros and you charge 15 euros it's not only the argument that you have to pay your rent for your shop that you actually play uh, um, uh, like have all the inventory that you manage and all what, whatever other reason you get the better machine but it's also the consistent quality. Like the rackets always look the same. You got always the same quality. The logos are stenciled. Maybe you put a free overgrip on it and it's calculated within the cost of your racket. Um, you, you got it, you just get it, uh, the, the racket cleaned before you start stringing. That's, that's the little things that don't take a lot of time. 
but they make the difference. That's what also makes you a better stringer. It's not only the stringer, it's everything around the racket that, that you handle it professional and that you take the 12, 13-year-old junior the same way serious as your super rich guy that every club has that like just wants to per like everyone is the same when they drop off the rackets. That's always how I dealt with my customers uh, in, in, in my little shop. And it actually like the word of mouth can do so many things to you in your area. Um, it's crazy. Like it's crazy what, what it can do to you. And as Richard said, like the logo painting coming back to string services, like it's a position where when, when you are not experienced and you just look into a stringing room and you see that one guy who cuts out the string and paints the logos, they, some people believe, and it's very unfortunate that like, yeah, he's maybe he's not a stringer or he can't do this and that. But it's, it's, it's the same way a responsible job within the whole process of stringing as everyone else there. Because as Richard says, like if, if the logo is painted like, uh, like with thick paint on it and, and the rackets get sturdy and all that stuff, it will come back to you as bad quality. The, the players will rate the service badly because they look at the racket and they have more paint on their racket than on their string. And, and yeah. perfectly from the technical side, um, we need to go light with it because spin is so important in today's game. So if you, if you have um, a natural gut monofilament hybrid, the paint gets into the string on the multi or natural gut while on the um, poly, it just stays on the surface nature of the beast of the material. So that, that gets nearly glued together while there's already less friction between those. And perfect example is Nishikori. He's super picky with it. In some stringing services, I actually saw that he paints a logo by himself because he wasn't happy because they couldn't get it done. And it's not because he wants to be something special, but he's a very sensitive player, the way he plays, the way he hits, and he, he believes he feels it. So it's rightfully so that he wants to control the things he can control. This goes back to marginal gains, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. He improves everything in a certain way, and that is the marginal gains part of it. And and coming back to your question, maybe can recreational players go crazy? I think yes, they can. But like in a sense, there are what I experience in my shop is that there are people out there like, oh, this is only for the pros. If you talk about racket customization, this is only for the pros. That's not important for me. I don't feel the difference. And what I tell every also at the workshops, we tell people like try it try it with your customer they will feel certain things um so i had a customer that came in and he dropped off he had four of the same rackets back then he had always natural gut and he dropped off all four rackets every single time um he only did twice once i started realizing with me and i was like why do you give me all four rackets and only one is played all the time yeah i want them all the same so if something happens blah and like but like, why are you only playing with this particular one? Like, there must be a reason for you. And uh, that was kind of when I started also getting more into this. And I measured the rackets on the, on the back then on the Prince RDC machine. And they were all different in swing weight. And so I asked him, I said, like, do you also feel, have you ever tried the other rackets or whatsoever? And he's like, yeah. And I said, like, here is the reason why. And I said, like, I can make them all the same for you. And then you can restring once the string is broken or when you actually have the feeling. 
And that brought me so many more customers because he had the feeling I'm very honest with him. I, I told him that I, I basically refused the business of restringing four times natural gut because I wanted to explain to him why it doesn't make a lot of sense. So yeah, it took maybe three string drops away on my cash account, let's say, but it brought me five more customers and I had a, a lifelong customer with him basically. And coming back to that, it is important for recreational players. Customizing is not only for pros. For pros, it is in a sense, okay, I have a record X and I want 20 grams more. I want a lower balance. They know what they want. You need to adjust to their game. But customizing starts with matching the rackets actually in your bag because there is this kind of thing, which is um, production tolerances. And production tolerances starts already that you, you, grab, you wrap your grip somebody pulls it more somebody pulls it less can be two three grams difference you already have a difference in balance and some people feel it more some people feel it less it's also something i can't tell i can't tell you that you don't feel it if you tell me you feel it and i can measure it then there is a problem mm -hmm. so let's fix it and um, that's also where shop owners can do incredible well offerings to their customers by using the three-in-one machine, uh, by kind of measuring it and getting people more sensitive about it. But only do this as a shop owner on things that you can actually change. And that's also the reason why I'm not the biggest fan of all this RA discussion that's always going on. Yeah, but because they can be different RAs as well, like from production, I guess there are slight differences they, in they, RAs the, as well. The factories normally get that right. They, 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 they get it right, but like still they get it right. The production tolerance are nearly zero on the RA, but still it's a it's interesting to measure. It might be a reference for somebody, but the thing is like you can change balance, you can change swing weight, you can change weight, you can change the twist weight, you can change it with like adding or like even taking some paint over and whatsoever. But RA, like, yeah, you can change it by string tension and stuff. Okay, we can debate this. But like you technically can't by intention change it dramatically. Mm. And it's only one reference point out of so many reference points on what the racket does when you hit the ball. And I'm not even an engineer and it's too complicated sometimes for me. So like how would a recreational racket? And sometimes I think it gets in certain ways it gets too high in the list of making a decision which racket to play it in my opinion it should be one of a list of things why i want to pick a certain racket or why i want to but some people are already and that's where we come to the craziness of recreational players they read an ra of 60 or maybe 70 or 65 you name it and say this is too stiff for me. This is too too soft to me. Well, it can be an orientation, but think about it. What's yeah, the string? What's the string bed in it? Like, how open is the string? How dense is the string bed? What string am I actually like um, looking into playing with it? What do I want to accomplish by changing to a certain racket or by upgrading or what? Well, however you name it. That, that's what what I always try to ask people is like, what do you want to accomplish? Do you, do you just want to switch brands? That That's fine. Then we need to find the same. But if you make a switch in your game with any product, whether it's a grip, a racket or a string, why? What what do you want to ac accomplish? Like, what's your goal? And, and that's where a good shop owner, a good coach, a good like gets 
in the weeds with the customer by not giving them too many knowledge or too much because then they get confused, which I would get in any other area where I'm not experiences. If somebody throws too much information at me, I'm taking a step back and I, oh, let me think about it. Let me digest, but give them the right information and ask the right question. And then you can guide your customer perfectly through the journey of picking the right product. Yeah, no, and I think also like this RA thing gets blown up a little bit on forums and so on because they think, oh, that's stiffness. So it means everything. So if it's 68, it's, it's, I'm going to have tennis elbow in two weeks while the whole layup, the string setup, everything you mentioned, and it also affects people differently. So someone who might feel like a racket is stiff might feel completely different to another person. So that's the thing with personal preference in strings, in rackets, in stiffness, in how the layup feels. It, it's so personal, everything. So it's very hard to give like, this This measurement is too stiff. You know, you yeah, can't say that. And it's, it's super interesting. The... It's super interesting because if you, you have players, you give them the same racket, same string, two people, they hit a ball. One tells you, wow, that's nice. That's super soft. Like it doesn't hurt my arm at all. The next guy or the next girl hits it. It's like, holy hell, what's that? That's too stiff. That's like shaking everything, blah, blah. So it's like, all right. And that's where you get back to perception. It's also, it's, if you, if, I mean, RA is spoken as one stiffness. So, the, you know, this racket is this RA. However, each racket has different stiffnesses in different places. Yeah. So how do you measure that? Is anyone qualified enough? I mean, is it going back to where you need to have an engineering degree to actually understand what it is and then you suddenly say okay well this is more flexible in the hoop it's more flexible linearly um there's more flexibility in the at the center of the head in the hitting area just above the grip to make it more comfortable so you start going through different things so the linear ra in just as a number doesn't give the full doesn't give the full picture so I, I mean, I tend not to to worry too much about the about the RA. Because I mean, if you look at something like the old Prestige, the old the original Prestige was not a stiff racket at all. But you got low, but there was it was the most used racket on the tour. If you go back to the nineties, the Prestige, what was it, the original, the Prestige Classic, the six hundred. Yeah. It's not a stiff frame, but there were so many players that were using it. So. It was just well, we had customers that say that it was a stiff racket, but it was more so that they loved how, how it hit, but they were inconsistent in hitting the sweet spot. So that if you have a super small head size and that you can you can put this with so many other rackets uh, back then as well, where people say like or claim they were stiff, but they weren't stiff technically yeah. because they they weren't some players weren't just capable of hitting consistent with the racket so because they had off center it started shaking yeah. and then they felt that shakiness they interpreted it as stiff being stiff yeah. and so awesome. you can't blame those people but like as I, and, and there we are coming back to the topic that we had right at the beginning of this chat technical statistics data and perception, perception. and sometimes they go together and sometimes they are wide away from each other yeah and, and most of the time when i hand like a 95 screen racket even to very good players they will feel the string bed to be stiff because it's a smaller head size even though the, the plushness of the ra is like or the 60 ra 
Uh, but they, oh, this feels stiff, this string bed, because it's a, you know, 1820-95 square inch. It's a stiffer string bed in that sense, but it's not a stiffer racket, you know? Yeah. Uh, so they feel like a 1619 pure drive is, is more, you know, better for the arm for them, or better, more flexible, because it's a 1600 square inch. So, so just that, that people get it right, I'm not like a, a, an enemy of the RA in, in general. I'm just saying, like, be careful with what you take out of the number and be mindful of that you don't like don't put yourself in a position where you cross off certain products off your list you don't want to try it because it shows that one particular number being too high or too low for what you might be looking for so ask a couple of people if they have hit it like listen to some reviews i mean that's where you, where you with your um, tennis nerd website and with your reviews probably set the bar as well high that's why like some bigger uh, .com accounts do all those reviews so people can get a better orientation of what certain products deliver and certain recommendations and it's it's so individual it's crazy i mean a person who plays tennis in florida will feel a, the same racket different than going to stuttgart indoor courts super cold outside you will just it's the nature of it like how you feel it how you perceive it the ball which ball did you play with a yeah. lot of people don't even ask that question like when they they just go out and they play it so like did they play the head tour xt did they play the head tour did they play the dunlop tournament official did they play the wilson us open and stuff it, it will have impact on how you perceive a certain product yeah no and, that's and true and it, it's it's hard to say at all everything. that it's about good or bad that doesn't say it it's just no how it feels yeah, and, and strings are perceived very differently as well, like different uh, different strings and uh, and tensions and so on. Players will will find it completely differently. It seems like tensions overall are, are going down, though. That's what I mean. I, I'm I got some feedback on the Manorino video and about like oh, I try this twelve kilos or fifteen kilos maybe or something lower, and and players tend to seem to like it. You know, even rec players and and this is something you're seeing as well, Richard. Uh, that it's like people are asking for lower tensions overall, or is that still, you know, the same? No, no, it's still, it's still um, the tension. It, it's rare that we see rackets where a player will come in and say, I want 28 kilos or 29 kilos. It's, it's, it's rare. Whereas before you'd say the most normal was probably about the 27, 26, 27, um, going back, say 10 years. I mean, if you go back 20 years, then you're talking about much, much, much higher. I mean, I remember I strung a racket, 45 kilos, you know, and it was, and that was with uh, 95 head in, um, in a monofilament. So, I mean, you can go back to when you go back to there, then you're talking about 28, 29 kilos. It was, it was pretty quite normal. Now it is, there might be, okay, I mean, you've got Dustin Brown, who's up at what, 36. And, uh, but apart from that, you've got even Serena and Venus. Venus used to be up around the, the 30 kilos um and she was down to 23 oh yeah big, big and change. um then she changed her strings as well but i mean you start going through different um different people that it's all i mean someone coming in and asking for 17 kilos no it no longer raises an eyebrow it's okay you know i mean it's um it makes sense as well it's letting it's letting the string work so it's actually you're actually letting the string do what it's supposed to do, as opposed to um, if you remember with Sampras when Sampras was stringing, he was stringing what 122 guts at 36 kilos. So um, in an 85 square square inch head. So I mean he wanted to block the string bed, and everything came from him. 
now it's actually letting the obviously it's change of change of string as well the technology so everything is more much more um the snapback well hey i mean that's at 17 kilos it's still possible to to hit out and the ball still come in because i mean it's still because of the change in the technology yeah so, it would be um, probably even even interesting to see like uh, if you if you would analyze a match out of the 80s or 90s in terms of what the trajectory of the ball is like what is the average height of the ball um, passing the net that. and what it is it today and yeah. certain styles of players and and uh, i mean there will be always the flat and uh, uh flat hitters and the more like the spin guys and stuff but like it definitely changed yeah and material played a huge role on the racket and on the string side I always um, think that the the you know where people talk about modern tennis, why did it change? Oh, it's, and a lot of and you hear a lot of the commentators say, yeah, the, the rackets have changed. I don't think it is. It's the strings. The strings have been the biggest the biggest difference because now the players can just hit as hard as they want. And, and their physical constitution. If you like, like the stronger they players. get, the harder they hit, the more the ball's going to come down. So that it's the only thing that's actually stopping them now is going to be um, is you know how strong can they actually get to be able to hit out at the um, hit out and the ball will keep dipping because yeah. it is a monofilament. So you know with that it's um, yeah the string the the change or the the monofilament now is. Uh, has really, really changed. Absolutely. I mean, it's changed everything when you think about it. I mean, you see them when they hit, they are hitting so hard and the ball's still, and the ball's still dipping. So, um, so who of you gets Christmas presents right now? I heard a, a bell ring. Like, yeah, who's, who's going to get new products? Like, who's... <laughs> I've, actually, I've, got a, I've got a player who's calling me as well because he wants his rackets done and I think he wants them done before going down. Okay. So it's... Um, hey... They can wait. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You let me know when you need to to skill out. No, no, I mean, no, no. I'm good. I'm good. I can I can sort that out after. I'd already done four before coming on here because um, Alex is uh, supposed to be hitting today if he can get in some with uh, with the rain. But um, oh, you got uh, rain in Marbella? What's going that's on, right. Richard? Yeah, yeah. Well, we haven't had we haven't really had any since I was there, right? Like I was. Oh, no, I no, arrived in Marbella and it was raining. Then. We haven't had any rain since then, and before that. We hadn't had any rain probably. I think we might have had one day in August or maybe one day in September and that was it. But then before that, then you go back to probably May, June. We hadn't had any. We haven't really. It's been really, really good. It's been a good year. But now we've got five days, five days of rain, at least five. So Drama. Drama in Mabea for Richard. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's terrible. I've had to use my windscreen wipers. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's uh, it's a luxury problem right now. I mean, we had two bad months, as I said in the beginning, but but now it's it's um, it's more steady sun. So yeah, it's yeah. like the skiers love it. I mean, yeah, bad situation because of the whole COVID situation. But like the, my colleagues, they love skiing for sure here, and like the mountains must be are looking beautiful. So we haven't really well, got. I mean, because we've got Granada next to us, which is a, it's a hundred kilometers up the road, and the ski station Sierra Nevada there's no snow up there ah, yeah, I can imagine one yeah one of the players um he's actually a um a top paddle player he he was in having his English lessons 
yesterday and he said oh yeah i was up at the i was up in the snow on over the weekend i said well how was it was it good skiing he said no he said there was there was no snow up there it just it just hasn't rained no i know it's been a been a dry but nice yeah. marbella time right yeah, yeah. so so players know where to go for stringing needs when they get to marbella because there's so many players there now in this this part of the season right yeah um i'm doing some down here and then nikki's in marbella so he does a lot down there so um you know it's i'm busy with quite a few different things anyway so i'm not I don't do that much stringing where I actually actively go out and look for it. But yeah. I have certain players who come and they say, you know, can you look after this? Can you do this? I just had a player come in yesterday who's going to be playing more doubles. So we're going to have a set of rackets for his singles and a set of rackets for his doubles where there's a slight change in the weight and a slight change in the swing weight. So that um, when he's playing singles, he's, he's got the racket, which is perfect, but he plays at 324 swing weight. Mm -hmm. So, um, and he unstrung plays- Unstrung or strong? Unstrung. Yeah. And he plays it at 327 grams unstrung. So it's quite heavy. And, but from the base, it's, it's great. So he gets everything he wants. He can get as much work on the ball, backhand, everything works perfectly. But for doubles, it's a little bit, it's not as maneuverable as it could be. So he was thinking of making a racket or getting the rackets, all his rackets redone so that it was a bit of in, the, in between them. I said, well, instead of having one, which is, you know, quite good for doubles and quite good for singles, why not just have two separate lots of rackets? One set, which is perfect for um for singles, which are the ones he's got at the moment. And we've been working on those. So I think he's getting his new rackets um, next, yeah, beginning just after after the 3rd of January. He'll get his new racket. So then he'll bring the batch down to me and I can do them for his singles. And I gave him a racket yesterday, which he normally works at, he normally plays 327 and 320, 327 weight, 324 swing weight. And I gave him a racket yesterday at 320 weight and 315 swing weight. So with a slightly, instead of the, the, the old, the racket he uses for singles, he's playing at 31.5. And I made this one 31, the, the doubles one 31.9. So although it has a static high um, balance that's slightly more head heavy, I wanted a little bit to get a little bit up there so that when he hits the ball, it's not feeling really wishy-washy compared to the swing weight of the other one. But when he's actually moving the, them around um, as if on a volley, he could feel the difference straight away. So now this obviously is just the first test um, for him to see what, um, what it should be and if it's any good. And then we can take it from there because we can always add some more grams. I can still add a couple of grams here, there or wherever. But I've got the lead on the hitting area. So he's got a solid... Um, it'll always feel solid when he hits the ball, but mm. it's just slightly less um, swing weight, which makes it more maneuverable. So let's see what this test does. So he took them off yesterday. I think he was, he was going to try and use them today, but um, well, I said to you earlier that he was, he was booked into this, the course in Toromlinos uh, that has a roof over it. So he might try it, uh, try it there, but um, yeah. So instead of having one general one, he's actually got one for doubles and one for singles. What are you hitting these days, Jonas? Oh, you can't ask that question. You know, I'm hitting everything. <laughs> I'm playing a lot with the boom, actually, at the moment. So the, the, actually, the boom MP, 
um, which is weird, with some customization. So that's um, just what I'm testing mainly. Uh, but but yeah, it's it's generally all over the place because I have so many different rackets and strings for testing. But but yeah, that's what I'm doing. That's what I'm going back to when I'm seeing a trend in my own play. I, I'm I'm seeing like okay, I, I, this one feels more at home now. So what way do you play at? Uh, it's around let's see the boom two nine five. I add maybe seven eight grams, so it's like yeah something like that three oh six unstrung, okay. something like that. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's weight? not. Sorry. Swing weight. Swing weights. I, I generally. I mean, I I'm trying lower now. It used to be like three thirty, three forty. Uh, but nowadays I'm trying like a three two three two five. You know, I'm trying to go down a bit, get it more maneuverable. I found it interesting with the doubles thing. I'm not I'm not a big doubles uh, fan or player, but I, I see. I mean, there seems to be like a. Um, point to have a slightly different racket for doubles compared to singles because it's such a different game you know it's yep. it's like but i don't know really what what different trends there would be but maybe lower swing weights Low, obviously lower, for doubles. lower lower balance point like yeah. so that, that they usually try like the the doubles players i had worked with in the past and what i've seen at training services and stuff is that they usually try to have a relatively high static weight. So they have like a mass that gets behind the ball that, that the racket doesn't shake too much. They have a um, relatively low balance so they can be quick around. And the swing weight is kind of like refers to that. It's not, it's, it's not super high. It's not super low. It's like a very, like if you want to find like a average and some doubles players, they tend to play like extended rackets, which, might be also slightly confusing because people would say like, okay, if you have a longer racket, it's also difficult to maneuver. But like what a lot of doubles players do is at, at least the ones again, like I'm, I'm not saying everyone does it is that they hold the racket slightly higher in their handle. Like yep. if I play, play singles, like I have my racket like this relatively low, but like they hold their racket here so I had this as a junior. I was lucky enough to to practice a lot with Pat Cash, and he so showed me that as well. So like he he served with a racket relatively low down, and then he moved up his hands for the volleys to be fully behind the grip. Mm. He he wasn't too bad at the net, so was no no. Mr. Chang did the same thing with because yes. he he was the first person with the extended racket. So on the serve, he would hold it at the bottom. So he would make the most of the, um, the, the swing weight, yeah. length. And then once he started hitting the ground shots, he'd move his up. hand up. So he basically, he'd have the best of both worlds. It just, just had to be, as long as you don't have the, 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 you don't hold the grip where you're actually going round underneath it. Um, and he, the way he was holding the racket, he could just move it up. So he was getting the best. He was getting the best on the serve. And I mean, he wasn't a particularly big guy anyway. But um, he, yeah, he used, he moved his hand up. So, uh, yeah, you're seeing that with, with shorter players, like they, they like the extended rackets. I mean, some like Diego, for example, 28 and uh, Shang, obviously 28, you know, and then, but then for for at the net, it's, it's usually a little bit trickier with the, the longer, uh, the extended length. You just move your hand up slightly and you've got a, and you know, that inch is gone. Yeah, no, it makes. I mean, I, I don't know what the, the the extended rackets for the market. Maybe that's something you you can talk about, Dennis. But it's it seems like the extended length rackets is not something you're pushing on, on as head. You know, you're you're not really seeing a, a big niche for that in the market. 
yes and no like there there is a niche as you say it's it is a niche it's like and then you have to at certain points you have to make certain decisions in business life um for let's say the tournament frames that are let's say around this 300 grams area there is not a high demand in this world i know that now probably your comments will explode of like oh if you would bring then we would buy kind of things but yeah it's 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 difficult it's 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 always a debate we have we we keep testing for sure because we always try and see but there is always a danger like an extended racket and in the wrong hands can cause serious problems yeah. Um, so, um, because, and then you, you need to work with the knowledge of, of people. So like, uh, um, maybe coaches would put a extended racket too early in the hands of juniors where they are still growing and stuff. It can cause really damage to, to it because the, the impact on your arm is like proportionally higher with even that small amount of extension. And I feel it like I'm hitting a, an okay ball, let's say like this, but I feel it as well. If you, if you, it's, it has more impact partly if you play the, the extended one, if they are not balanced out properly and done well. Yeah. And it takes some getting used to as well. Like it's not, not something you just get into and start hitting and it's perfect. Like I, I test all kinds of rackets, longer ones and normal. And it usually takes quite a while to get into the contact point yeah. of the longer. And, and there are reasons why sometimes it makes sense, like taking taking into account what kind of string setup do you play. So if you have a player, for example, that has, um, uh, in general, that has that plays a natural gut monofilament hybrid where the natural gut is in the mains, and he loves to string the racket in the mains, maybe two kilos higher than the crosses. For what, let's not debate if it makes sense or not, but it's kind of what he prefers. You will condense the hoop. Then it actually makes sense to have an extended racket because once it's strung, it actually has the let's say regular twenty-seven inch. So, but but that's probably one out of you know. Yeah. So as a as a commercial offering, it's tough you get the players who actually want you to stretch their rackets when when you're stringing them you know otherwise if you put it if you just put it in normally then um it comes out short so you actually have to stretch it as much as possible stretch the racket so, so what do you mean there yeah, they want to have it like they want when you put it into there's one very relatively popular guy in uh, from australia he comes into your string room and he looks at you and he wants to really kind of I mean, this, this go, is something go that, for it, go for it. Kind of, it, it goes back to yeah. experience. When yeah. he comes in, you have to know that that player, if you, if obviously, if we go to the when you place a racket in the machine, you make sure that you don't stretch it, so that, you, that all the, the, the six and 12 are touching and the, the other supports are holding the racket so that the racket goes in and comes out the same shape. His yeah. racket's very, very flexible in the hoop. So if you do it like that, it will come out shorter. Okay. And he will throw it back at you and he will not be happy. So what he says is just stretch it. So what you do is you stretch it as much as it'll go. So you tighten up the six and the 12, you stretch it. Mm. And then when it comes out, it's roughly where, about where it should be. Um, and he's, that's the way he likes it. So he, he's actually a head player. So he, like his support is very good that yep. he gets from us. So he is... Uh... <laughs> So if, the, if right. the frame breaks, then he can he can get some more. But, I I, um, I hope you are not mad at me, but like I have to jump 
right now. Yeah, um, that's fine. That's fine. Things. I mean, we've been Catching. talking for a while and we can do it yeah. again. If you want to. <laughs> yeah, sure. Definitely. Let's see how many people will listen to us for one and a half yes. hours now. Like, <laughs> But it yeah, was fun yeah. for us at least. Definitely. Yeah, that- Maybe like if people, just a proposal. So if, if people have now listened to us and kind of like uh, they kind of know us in the meantime, they know Richard, they know me maybe from like all the other podcasts. Why aren't we asking our our listeners, your followers, send send a list of questions and we catch up whatever end of January and we pick up those questions and we go through it. And if somebody has general questions about products, um, for sure, for me, much easier to answer general product questions on head product. Um, but even like uh, recommendations, because after our last podcast, I got a couple of Instagram, LinkedIn questions and stuff. And I'm I'm super happy to help people. Uh, I need to apologize if I can't reply immediately with all the answers. But like, I, I hope I satisfied everyone with answering and getting them some, some tips and tricks. Um, Jonas, I let you know um, yesterday that we had sent out the links touch sets to the list that you provided. Some might take longer, some might be faster receiving it. Um, if somebody doesn't get it by the mid of January, please reach out like to me or uh, leave a comment or something and we will take care. So Big thanks for that. I think they will be very happy getting getting free string into test and it's, it's going to be interesting to see the feedback when we, when we get those those tests yep. out and I will do my review as well when I get my tests. Yeah. All right. Cool. Thank you. Merry Christmas to all of you, to everyone out there. Uh, happy new year. Um, stay safe, stay healthy and yeah. Yeah. Have a good exactly. time. Thanks. We'll talk Jonas. soon and I'll meet you in January, Richard. We'll be fun. Okay. Definitely. And then we can, uh, we can have a good chat. We will I see you in January too. I heard. Yes. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> Full circle. All right. Merry Christmas, guys. We'll talk soon. Okay. Thanks a lot. See you. Bye. Thanks. Thank you. Bye-bye.